All right. Good morning, everybody. Yeah. Good morning. Thanks, Lola. <laughs> we are a conversation of many. And, and all right. Good morning, Charlie. Thanks. <laughs> I promise I'm not sitting in this room by myself for no, no. the listeners here. So we're in good shape. All right. Continuing our saga of the book of Acts, and today we're jumping into chapter 7. Uh, continuing a little bit about Stephen, Stephen's sermon. He gets into the Old Testament stuff. Before we do any, uh, any reading, those of you who had a chance to read the whole chapter, what, what stood out to you? What do you think so far? Oh, you know, big picture of the whole chapter. Well, one thing I said to Mark was it was amazing to me how quickly these people turned against him and how angry they got to the point of, you know, zero to 60, talking to him and speaking to him and stoning him. You know, yeah. it, it was like a... He struck a nerve. Yeah, definitely struck a nerve and talked about how... You know, uh, belief that you know Satan was definitely behind that. You mm -hmm. know, absolutely. He called him stiff-necked and uncircumcised. <laughs> he did. Capital insult, apparently. Mm -hmm. Fun fact: in verse one, uh, are these things true? The high priest asked. The high priest is Caiaphas, mm -hmm. same high priest who presided over Jesus' mm -hmm. trial. What do you think of that? When I learned that, I thought, now oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. So what's really interesting is that, you know, Stephen's sermon, and specifically we're going to be talking about verses 17 to 35, it's really a 30,000 foot view of significant events that happened in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. which is really, it's a really cool kind of summary and overview. But let me, before we get into that, let me ask a couple questions. Has anybody in this room ever struggled with the Old Testament? Like when you read the Old Testament, struggled with some of them stories or, or what's taking place there? I know I certainly have it different times. <clears throat> Maybe like, like, didn't understand well enough. Mm. You know, felt like, yeah. you know, there's a lot there that's angry and Bloody, and, you know. Right. right. Yeah. So, what do you think? What do you think is happening? Like, what's the main story of the Old Testament? What do you think is happening in the Old Testament? And my point for asking these questions is like, if if Stephen's giving a sermon that's like a thirty thousand foot view of the Old Testament, then to rightly understand why he's talking about the events he's talking about, you need to understand what's going on behind well, all of that. Well, if all these people that are who are starting to get negative against them, he's sitting there just going, hey, this is what this is the story. You gotta remember this. This is what happened. Mm. You're you're the educators, you're the high priest, you're the Sanhedrin, you're the whoever. Y'all need to know you know this. Right. Why are you denying it? Right. Um <clears throat> for me, to 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 rightly or correctly understand the Old Testament, you gotta start with Genesis three fifteen. And I, I like the New Living Translation of this text. And this is God speaking to 
Adam and Eve and the serpent. He said, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And we understand that verse to be God promising Jesus. That is the, that is the first time in the Bible that, that God mentions the Messiah. A Savior will come. That is, that is, to my understanding, to correctly understand what's taking place in the Old Testament, you got to look at it through that lens. God promised a Savior. Right? Mm-hmm. So, would God use a woman who, against her will, to have the birth of Jesus? Right? Like yeah. if it's a person, yeah, he wouldn't. So what does God need in order for Jesus to be born? A willing, believing. A willing, believing, trusting woman. Absolutely. So in the Old Testament, what do you find? We find Satan immediately getting busy to turn the hearts and minds of everybody. Because he knows if he can get everyone to not believe in God and not trust God, then Jesus can't be born. Right? So that's a really interesting interesting concept to think about so so to kind of like look at the events of the old testament from a from a thirty thousand foot view you've got god working to bring about messiah jesus birth and you got satan acting to stop it the whole way through so with this with stephen's sermon he picks up the story not before the flood but after the flood when god Promises Abraham when God says it's through your descendants that the Messiah will come. Right before that, it was just there's no specific line. It was just Jesus could come, and that's where you find like in the days of the flood, the whole earth was wicked and hostile and evil and violent, except for the Bible says one person, one man, Noah. So Satan was like one guy short of closing down the avenue. So then after the flood, the earth starts repopulating. God comes down and makes a promise with Abraham, and he says, it's through your line that we're going to make this happen. And that's how, like when you read the Bible, you don't read about the Indian people or the Chinese or the South American people, right? It's, it's only Abraham's line because it's telling this story. God wants to bring Jesus. Satan wants to stop it from happening, right? So, talk about the great controversy straight up, right? So with that kind of like preview in mind, let's jump into starting at verse 17 through 35. And um, let's let's take turns, and we'll go down through, and we'll read the first part of Stephen's sermon. And he's talking about Moses, a rejected savior. Can uh, let's see, Joe, do you want to read verse seventeen through twenty-one, the first paragraph? Sure. Cool. Thanks. Uh, Moses, a rejected a rejected savior, At, as the time was approaching to fulfill the promise that God had made to Abraham, the people flourished and multiplied in Egypt. Until a different king who did not know Joseph ruled over Egypt. He dealt deceitfully with our race and oppressed our ancestors by making them abandon their infants outside so that they wouldn't survive. At this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. He was cared for in his father's home for three months. When he was put outside, Pharaoh, uh, when he was put outside Pharaoh's daughter adopted and raised him as her own. So Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in his speech and actions. Thank you. Mark, you want to take the next paragraph? Let me read it out of this one, baby, because 
It's consistent. It'd be uh, verse 23 through 26. Okay. When he was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. When he saw one of them being mistreated, he came to his rescue and avenged the oppressed man by striking down the Egyptian. He assumed his people would understand that God would give them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. The next day he showed up while they were fighting and tried to reconcile them peacefully, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why are you mistreating each other? But... But the one who was mistreating his neighbor pushed Moses aside, saying, Who appointed you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me, the same as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Mm. When he heard this, Moses fled and became, the egg, be, and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Do you want me to stop there? Or you want me to keep going? Yeah, I'll read a little bit. After forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. As he was approaching to look at it, the voice of the Lord came, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Moses began to tremble and did not dare to look. Angel, you want to read the last two paragraphs there? Well, we are not. We are chapter 7, verse 33. Yeah, 33 through 35, 36. Then the Lord said to him, Take up your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge, is the one... God sent to be a ruler and deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs of land in the land of Egypt and the Red Sea and in the wilderness forty years. Kind of reminds me when Jesus says that prophets are not welcome in their own land. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because even though he defended his own brethren. The same, his own brethren say, oh, we're going to kill him like you do the, the Egyptian. <clears throat> I guess, you know, they don't understand. Or, I don't know, it's, it's, it's weird. Nowadays it's the same thing too. You know, you try to be a moderator or something between somebody and like, you know, what mm -hmm. you're tell us what to do or something, you know, when you're trying to um, bring peace or something among amongst, among people, mm -hmm. you know. So why do you think, um, what's the point? Like, why is Stephen telling this story? It's because... In that particular situation, that's just one example, but, but what it was saying is, these people were so oppressed, so distracted by what was going on in their daily lives that they didn't recognize Moses as their way out of there, mm. as, as God's tool for mm -hmm. them to get out of there. Mm -hmm. And him telling that story 
was what he was also telling to the to the priests was you don't see the one that God has sent you because you're so distracted and so mm-hmm. whatever it is that's mm-hmm. preventing you from seeing it. I'm gonna I'm gonna suggest a, another perspective, okay. um, and that is that if it's if it's simply that, is that enough to cause the reactions of the priests, or is there something else going on there? Right. Go ahead. So you got to understand how they debate. See, the d- debate is around the story. So Francis, he spoke about Joseph you know, being sold into the Egyptians' hands in, in, the, in the time before this and talked about how their forefathers, their 12 forefathers, rejected Joseph, who was a type of Christ. Moses, who slew this Egyptian, who would be a type of Christ in the Bible and how their own people, again, refused him then and so he brings it all the way up to later in the chapter where it's well they cause him to throw him out of the place and stone him to death so I think um, if you look at when uh, verse 24 when Stephen talks about when when Moses showed up and he saw someone an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite so he killed the Egyptian the, the story is actually Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. And I read it, and it actually says that Moses walked up, saw an Egyptian and Israelite fighting, so he killed the Egyptian, and he buried the Egyptian in the sand, and then he ran away. So what does that reveal about Moses' character? So that, I think that's the first piece, right? He's, he's killing someone, and then he's hiding the evidence and running in fear and hiding. Yeah? So... That's a normal human reaction. There you go. That's our carnal nature. 100%. Mm -hmm. That's our carnal nature. But if you go down to verse 27, when Stephen then brings up Moses came back the next day and tries to intervene between two Israelites fighting, right? Now, this isn't pagan nation fighting with God's people. This is two two of God's people having a disagreement here. What do they tell him? Who appointed you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me the same way you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Right? So a member of God's own people is rejecting Moses, who is a, like you say, a type of Christ. I think that's the point Stephen is getting at. Right? The person who's rejecting Moses and working against him. Right? Moses is there trying to break up a fight. The person who is rejecting him and working against him is an Israelite. One from his own people. Now, does that spark a verse in your head? Is there another example where you can think, what is it? Well, in the New Testament, when Jesus' own people in his yes. town yes. want to basically kill him. That's right, John one eleven. Mm-hmm. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I think, I think what Stephen is getting at in this opening of his sermon with Moses is he's starting to make this point of God sent somebody and God's own people are rejecting him. And he's starting to give historical evidence of when this this first began in Moses. 
right? What are y'all's thoughts about that? What do you think? Anything else kind of like in there that comes to mind that we can discuss before we keep going? There is one, but I don't know how much of a tangent that I necessarily want to like make this go off of, and that's when uh, they talk about take off your sandals from this feet because what, what verse are you on? This is twenty three. Okay. Take off your sandals from your feet because the place where you're standing is holy ground. Um, verse thirty three. Yes, I'm yeah. sorry, thirty three. Yeah. Yes, and uh, I always find that interesting because yes, I mean it's it, it's holy because. God is there, you know, but in reality, it's just earth, mm. you know, mm. you know, it, I mean, if God wasn't there, is it holy ground? Hmm. Interesting concept. I don't know. That's me. Kind of out there. What do you think? Think it through. Well, I mean, I mean, our... You know, let me uh, just roll a duct tape that I randomly have in my living room. <laughs> is this holy? I mean, there's a hole in it, Joe. I got to your joke for you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but is this holy? If you put preparation H on it, it would be. Okay. conversation <laughs> is this unholy is this sin it's neither is this sin? It's, it's neither, neither. It's nothing. because it's, nothing. it's an inanimate it's a, object it's a, it's as, nothing. as earth is but interesting right. how they had him take off the sandals because it's a holy a holy ground yeah and yet his feet his bare feet are okay to be it is an interesting concept, isn't it? Yes. I don't have really have an answer. I've never I, considered it before. Yeah. Grounding well, your feet. They say probably, that cliche, grounding your feet. Well, I mean, and probably in the scheme of the story, really isn't that important, but I've always wondered, you know. Yeah. It's just one of those hmm. things that are kind of like. I wonder if there isn't anything. I wonder if, okay, so the Bible, right? Jesus says in John, I think it's chapter 15, you search the scriptures because you think in it is eternal life, but the Bible speaks of me. So I wonder if this is an instant where, where we're learning something about God. Not about Moses, right, or the ground, but we're learning something about God. And that is, could the Israelites of that time have these beliefs of, like, you go to a holy place, you take off your sandals, right? That the part of their whole religion, the Egyptians situation, things like that. So could this be God meeting Moses where he's at and saying to get Moses in the right frame of mind, I'm going to tell him, take your shoes off. You're in a holy place. And Moses goes, Oh yeah. Oh, I'm in a holy place because that's culturally. Gotcha. That would make sense. Maybe that's what God's doing there. So we're actually learning something about God. And that is, I look how amazingly gracious he is to say, I'm going to meet Moses right where he's at to try to really connect with him. Right. That makes God look really good. Doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, that's cool. Thanks for bringing that out. Um, jump down to verse 35. Stephen starts driving a hammer. <clears throat> he says, this mo well, I should say he starts driving. Can you drive a hammer or do you drive a nail? Drive a nail. You drive a nail? 
He starts driving a nail in their coffin. Maybe his own? Bad joke. This Moses, whom they rejected when they said, Who appointed you a ruler and a judge? This one God sent as a ruler and a deliverer through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. Okay, so he goes back and he makes this point again by saying, God's people are rejecting Moses. Right? There's also a parallel here between Moses and Jesus. Can you think of a parallel between, in addition to what you talked about, he came to his own, but his own rejected him? Remember, Stephen says, you, quote-unquote, God's people, rejected the man whom God sent to be the ruler and deliverer of you. See how he's making that point? Mm -hmm. In Psalms 118.22, David prophesies about Jesus and says, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Right? And then in Acts chapter 4, verse 11, Luke writes, This Jesus is... The stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Now remember, Stephen's talking to the priests, right? Like they would know all about Psalms. They would know about this whole rejection of the stone and all this kind of thing. So, so what is Stephen saying to these priests now? He's, he's, he's starting to really drive this point. Well, he's telling them, he's calling them out. He's saying they're rejecting Jesus. Yeah. They're rejecting the one God sent. That's right. Historically, right? He's starting way back, and he's, he's giving examples historically, and he's starting to lay this out. If you were to read the rest of, of Stephen's sermon in chapter 7 there, he goes past Moses, and he goes, incident, boom, 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 yeah. boom, all down through the Old Testament, and he doesn't, you know, he he doesn't he doesn't at all address the opposition that came from outside Israel, right? There was the Philistines, there was Assyrians, the there was like pagan. They were always attacking. There was always wars, and they were always fighting. He doesn't address any of that as quote unquote the worst, you know. He he talks about the worst, the most detrimental, the most damaging opposition came from within. within. And and that's where he just laid it laid it all the way out. And, and then there's still an absolute denial when you look when you start going over to uh, printed smaller. My eyes are getting worse. Fifty six. What chapter? Uh, chapter uh, eight, verse fifty six. Look, Stephen said, I can see the heavens opening up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God to welcome me home. His accusers covered their ears with their hands and screamed at the top of their lungs to mm. drown out his voice. Oh, man. I like that translation. So it's just pure denial of what he's saying. They didn't, you know, deep down inside, maybe he is right, but I can't believe it. I can't, I can't do it. And, you know, and I think the, you know, the final thing, you know, he, Stephen goes back to, what did Christ say when he was on the cross? Don't hold this sin against him. Yeah. He, he didn't take it personal. This yeah. is what these people were taught. This is, so they're defending what they were taught, right or yeah. wrong. But he didn't take it personal. Just like Christ didn't take it personal when he was crucified. In, in chapter 7, verse 51 through 53, like that's when Peter, or sorry, that's when Stephen connects what the priests did to Jesus and what they're currently doing with the new church. Like he, he, he drives it home there. 
you know, he connects that historical evidence that they can't deny to their actions that very moment. When he says, you men who are stiff necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Like he's calling and they can't, they can't irrefute it. Like I said before, a couple of weeks ago, is that it, it's, you know, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. So these, these gentlemen, these priests and whoever, they're, they're going to stick to their guns and, you know, it, I guess if, if somebody were to try, and, and we do get it in different ways, convince us that Christ wasn't real, Christ didn't do this. We're going to defend what we, what we believe that God has taught us and what, what God has taught us. Mm-hmm. We're going to defend that if somebody has a firm belief in something different than what we do. You know? So... You, you, you kind of—it's it, a tough thing to say. Oh, those guys are a bunch of—you know—you know, a bunch of nasty, mean people. They were kind of defending what they thought God wanted them to believe. Hmm. Is there any logic behind that? I mean, it's very possible that they had an idea of who and what God was going to send, but it was never the picture that was sent. It was never the poor guy that came from a carpenter's family. It was never the, you know, the fisherman out in the sea. It was never, you know, these just humble, salty earth people. They, maybe in their mind, thought it was going to be something magnificent or someone important or someone with you know it's going to be a huge wow it was a big thing coming down from the sky hey look at this right rather than these subtle humble simple things that came or people that came you know what i mean yeah yeah it was uh meekness yeah and lowly yeah and not pompous and authoritarian and kingly and, and no one great and right. no one you know not great in the sense of a human form right you know mm-hmm. Moses had a speech impediment right great point and he was a shepherd mm-hmm. yeah yeah I think um, there's a big lesson in Stephen's sermon for us today um, <clears throat> I think there's a great warning in it that you know as we approach the second coming of Jesus, which I believe is very soon, I think we all do, that the greatest opposition is not going to come from people from outside God's church, God's people. I think this is a warning and a, and a lesson for us to say that it'll come from people who claim to be Christian, claim to be standing for the truth and, and the gospel and all of these things. And we'll be impassioned by it. Absolutely be impassioned by it. Absolutely. And... I really like 2 Timothy 3, 5, where he talks about, you know, in the last days, there will be people who practice a form of Christianity, but denying its power. So they're, they're claiming to be Christian, they're claiming to be doing this, but it's not, it's not true, it's not genuine. It's like, it's like Stephen said, 
you're uncircumcised in your heart and your ears. In other words, you're not changed in your heart and mind. You're just doing religion by rote or by, in other words, the view of God that you're worshiping is not what Jesus revealed. Because ultimately, like you were talking about Lola with the, the, the types of Christ in the Bible and Jesus himself, they all kept the Sabbath. They all followed the Ten Commandments. They all ate a health-conscious diet. They were all great Adventists, right? But the point is, they were they came with a different picture of God than what other people had. Mm-hmm. And that's what just stirred them all up. They weren't arguing about baptism or Sabbath. or They weren't arguing about any of that. And I think, you know, when Stephen brings light to that whole thing, and he says, just like all the ancestors who had this different view of God, Kill the prophets who came because what in the Old Testament we've talked about this before a prophet can be two different things right someone who prophesies of future things yet to happen and also someone who calls people back to a knowledge of God I think that's a really important lesson for us so to close it out and it'd be great to hear from everybody what do we do? What do you do to discern between a person who is claiming to be on God's side, like the example Stephen gave, versus a person like Stephen who is on God's side, or like Jesus? It reminds me of, of, the, uh, of that, I don't know if it's a verse, per se, I think it is, uh, you should know them by their fruits, mm. what they do, what mm-hmm. they actually mm-hmm. carry out, how mm-hmm. they live, how they, not necessarily just their presentation, mm. how are they when the doors are closed. So how do you get that when, when the Bible talks about even Satan comes as an angel of light, doing marvelous signs and wonders? Light is rep- in the Bible represents love and truth. So when, G- when Satan shows up as a loving, truth-motivated person, mm-hmm. his fruits might look pretty good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So not to get off track and go down that route, but it's it's curious to think about that. Well, you can tell. I mean, sometimes you can tell like that how genuine a person is mm-hmm. by just looking at the way their mannerisms and stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Just like... You know, the, um, let's say, pretty much evangelists you see on TV and stuff. You know, they preach, you know, the um, do for your for your brethren and your neighbors, yeah, but yeah, they have multi-million dollar planes and mansions mm-hmm. and stuff. You know, that's not mm-hmm. what God's plan is, is basically take care of your brethren. You know, not enrich yourself. You know, like false prophets. All you know, they 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 come as a personal light, and you know, preaching about the love of Christ. But yeah, they do something different. If you know one is to believe in Jesus in the Bible, then you should really know the Bible because if they, if these false prophets and people that come up, they won't be 
um, adherent to the teachings of the Bible mm. in one way or the other. For instance, they may not keep the Sabbath. They'll keep a Sunday or a Wednesday or whatever it is, something different. Or they, they'll teach you something other than what the Bible teaches, like the state of the dead, where you sleep when you die. That you don't go to heaven immediately. You don't. You're not interacting with the people that love you, mm. and it's it's the false hope of that that you know a lot of that's not biblical, and so all these principles that we have as Adventists and 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 really that are biblically based as far as these simple things is that it's a true test of these prophets, mm. and if they don't live by any of these measures, they're not to be trusted because. They're breaking God's rule one way or the other. Yeah. If they are with Jesus, they, they should walk like Jesus did when he was born. See, I like to I like that point because um, <clears throat> Jesus, like the methods he used, the way he spoke to people, the things he did were done in a very specific way. It, um, a, a type of character, a type of communication, a type of and so, to, to your point, Angel, and, and also Mark, to your point, if a person shows up speaking something that's not in harmony with how Jesus did things, like, the, the easiest one that comes to my mind is you don't see Jesus ever coercing somebody. Like he's, he's not never, trying to get a new Cadillac. He never coerced somebody. <laughs> and he never guilt-tripped you into... To, Give me that thousand dollars and blah blah blah. blah. You, you know, to your point of like the mega churches and all that. Plane. Yeah, he never did anything like that. He <laughs> he presented the reality of the truth through parables and stories, and he let people completely free to make up their own mind. Do they agree with this or not? Right, and so, and so, for me, the biggest thing that comes to mind if someone shows up, I got a, I got a word from God for you, or I got this, or I got that, but it's got this course of guilt sort of message to it for me i think that's how you identify by what spirit it's coming from because jesus never did that but when you hear truth oh truth it hurts. will ring within you yeah and truth can come from the most wretched of people the 100%. lord can speak through yeah the most wretched i'm testament to that and so it's one of those things where I tell you it's so the test of the prophet, I mean again, out of the mouth of babes comes for truth. You you can get a lot of truth from people yeah. just giving you an honest observation. Yeah. But when it comes to things of God, weigh these people seriously against the Bible and the teachings of the Bible and it's very important to test. Don't just take it as face value. That's for sure. Let's pray. <clears throat> Thank you so much, Father, for this for blessing our conversation, for everybody's insights that were shared and the discussions that we have. And, and as we wrestle with these things of um, trying to discern right from wrong and, and where you're at work and where the spirit of evil is at work in our hearts and in our circumstances, I just pray that you will please bring us discernment and be receptive to the truth. You know, as Stephen gave irrefutable evidence and truth to the priests that caused them to react in such a violently aggressive way, I ask God that you will 
do your work of changing our hearts and our minds so that when we hear the truth, even though it may hurt, it may sting, it may crush us, but we accept it because we understand where it's coming from. It's coming from you. And may we advance in it to grow, to be healed, to be restored, to change. Bless us on the rest of the Sabbath day. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.